Everybody, we got Isaac Hansen on today, uh, and he is the guitar player and one of the principal songwriters for the yes. band Hansen, Hansen Clan. Uh, the Hansen, the Hansen Clan, the Hansen Brothers, uh, all the way from <laughs> albums range from Middle of Nowhere yeah. out in 1995, seven, 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 seven. Uh, and then uh, Red Green Blue, which just dropped, I think, last year. Last year, and so we're kind of we're going to talk about the space in between all of that. Uh, but before we get into that, we are going to start the way that we always start. We're going to start out with band names, band names on 98.9. Uh, no, on this podcast. Hi. Welcome to Band Names uh, on 98.9. We're really excited you're here. We thought it would be fun to have Isaac participate in Band Names because, one, he's in a band. <laughs> I am and a band. Uh, he said that he has a band name ready to go. So yeah, I do. I think his is going to be the best, so I'm going to have him go last. <laughs> uh, but uh, remember, It's a Scottish band. A, we <laughs> wouldn't We're going to keep resuming this Scottish thing, all right? <laughs> we wouldn't be surprised. Be <laughs> so, uh, I... I'm going to go ahead and have Philip go first. I'll Remember, go these ahead, band names are fictional. First. These band names do not exist. If you use these band names, we will sue you. Yep. We'll come after you with a fleet of suits mm. uh, unless you email DTO at Walmart. And I have Audio several very highly paid ask. lawyers in Los Angeles yeah. right now that mm. are ready with cease and desist letters. C and D is ready to go. Yeah. If you use these band names without asking us, uh, you're going to die. But if you use them, <laughs> if you ask us, we will always say yes. And it's yours. You just have to for ask free. us first. And here's Remember the rule, and somebody take me up on it. Nice. If somebody uses one of these band names and they upload an album to Spotify, and I can verify it, free guitar pedal. Absolutely, any pedal you want, <laughs> it's a free pedal if you Fantastic. use one of these band names. But remember, you have to ask or you get sued. It's super. It's a web of uh, complications, but it's really not that hard. Philip, oh. what's your band name today? Web of complications. Web this of complications. Great. That's an web album name. Of complications. That's good. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right. Today we it's have Father album. Figure. <laughs> You've already done Father Figure. No, I haven't. Yes, you did. It's on. I'm pretty sure it's on Julian Baker's episode. No, it's not. That was bad graphics, dude. Maybe you've talked about that band name too many times, and so he thinks you've talked about it. You did father. You've already done father figure. I have not done father figure. I swear, you've done father figure, and we talked. Oh, maybe it was on the episode that we didn't air because they didn't show up. I think that might be it. Okay, tell me about father figure. (laughs) Let's tell you about this. Might be a different, a different father figure. Uh, it's spelled, <laughs> father, it's spelled different this Fafur. time. It's, it's spelled French. It's spelled F- father figure. F I J U R E. Father figure. If what is it? I'm just kidding. All right. What kind of what kind of genre is father figure? It's a girl band. They're bedroom pop. They just came out with a new album called Picture Day. That's a great. This is good. Yeah. They're. I mean, they're good. Picture Day. This is good. This is yeah. you're doing a good job. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> this is exciting. Picture day. Uh, That's yeah, a good they're album from, name. They're from Olympia, so yeah, makes sense. Olympia, they're, Washington. Yeah. Olympia, Washington. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Olympia, Texas. <laughs> they're from <laughs> Olympia. <laughs> Where's Olympia, Texas? It's we have pan, no idea. It's in the Panhandle it's, somewhere. No, it's just yeah. It, it's on the way. It's just north of Odessa. It's on the way. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> just north of Odessa. <laughs> All right, my band name is Moon Meat. I do remember this. <laughs> we got the band Moon Meat, and uh, Moon Meat is—I uh, mean, they're they're from Raleigh, so, uh, North Carolina. They're from Raleigh. Are they an experimental? And band? I feel bad I'm, for everybody listening from Raleigh that I said they're just from Raleigh. But what I mean by that is they're just from like a regular, you know, B-sized town. Yeah. 
And I don't feel like I'm offending you because I'm from Oklahoma City, and it's the same thing. We're so, uh, right, yeah. We got and I'm from Tulsa, it. so yeah. So if you're offended, what you're, you're from offended, Scotland? No, I'm from Scotland. I'm from Edinburgh, <laughs> and my fa- and my mother is from Glasgow. What's <laughs> great? Let's just do the whole bit again. <laughs> just, no, don't, don't. Uh, uh, the Moon Meat is uh, an indie Southern rock band, uh, and their debut album is called Heart Chunks. Oh, that's that's a good that's a good band name right there. Heart Chunks, Heart Chunks. Uh, and they are on tour with Band of Horses. I no joke. My band was going to be on band on tour with Band of Horses in my head earlier. Isaac, what's your band name? My band's name is uh, Esoterica. Wow, uh, that sounds super pretentious. They are band from their band is called Esoterica, and they're from. Uh, they actually filmed, filmed, formed. I can't talk. Uh, they they formed the while they were. Uh, <laughs> I know because I'm Scottish. Uh, they uh, they formed while they were in Berkeley. Really? Yeah, Esoterica formed while they were in Berkeley. That sounds and, like a Berkeley band. Yeah, yes, and, and it's very like it's like um, like experimental, like like um, mood. Mood rock, nude rock, mood. Oh, mood, mood rock, mood like it's like we're doing there's lots of rock. electronic kind of yeah. things, and it's really important because they don't sell out. So all of their shows, they don't actually sell tickets to their shows, but their dad has to rent out the venue mm-hmm. because because <laughs> that's the only way that they can. That's the only way have a can. show. I've been. They pay to be on their because tours, they right? don't sell out because their original and yeah. they're like. And I forget the name of their first record, but I think it's probably like something along the lines of um, we're not sellouts. Yeah, we're not sellouts. <laughs> It'd be interesting to have Oryx. to start a band already proving yourself in a way. <laughs> like already yes. having to demand respect to yeah. your album names. Uh, we actually, we that are actually, not sellouts. That this, actually goes to my, it's, it's actually a joke that my brothers and I have in the studio we've have a series of band names that we talk about which by the way our youngest brother uh mac uh, is in a band called joshua and the holy rollers and um i love and he's very a very talented singer songwriter very funny guy and uh he has some fantastic band names uh as well Uh, i will not share them but i would recommend if you need other band name ideas or just like even just a random guest just to give you funny band names with yeah. funny backstories. Mac. He's the kind of guy that you should contact. Yeah. Okay. Did I'll he do stand up comedy for a while? I feel like uh, he I, should. I, he's certainly capable of it. He mostly, uh, yeah, he's a very funny guy. Yeah. He does, he's, he's done a lot of like early on um, in his late kind of teen years uh, and early 20s, he definitely did um, a bunch of kind of sketch kind of comedy stuff that they filmed and and he's done some he's done some stuff with his with his band as well that's kind of in that in that direction even though the yeah. music is serious he's kind of yeah worked in some because he's just got some a he's got a quality yeah. sense of humor so J- what in the holy rollers joshua and the holy joshua rollers. And the holy, everybody go check it out uh isaac well i think it'd be helpful um <laughs> obviously we know who you are um but just pretend like you're profiling your band or your art for somebody that's never heard of you guys. Should uh, I be the Scottish reporter talking no, about? No. <laughs> we genuinely need Tulsa why, Isaac. Why would that not be a good idea? We need Tulsa Isaac to come back <laughs> yeah. to this part. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, as you said, um, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
just down the road, about 100 miles away, 100 yep. miles northeast of here. Um, I, uh, my brothers and I started singing together when I was 11 years old. When yep. my brother Zach was six, uh, we started off a cappella because that's what you do when you're that young. Uh-huh. You just memorize songs and sing. And we had a gift for talent or for, for harmony. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my brother Taylor. Agreed. Uh, my brother Taylor, my mom used to joke that Taylor didn't talk before he harmonized. <laughs> he just kind of had a really good ear for it. Uh-huh. And, and all of us have kind of always kind of had that very strong musical inclination. And our parents were both musical. My mom went to, uh, went to college at uh, North Texas State, oh, uh, yeah. oh, which I think has changed its name now. Uh, UNT? Are UNT? In Denton? Yeah, 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 in Denton. Yeah. It's like yeah. the number one jazz school in America, right. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so she went there with a full ride uh, for uh, vocal scholarship uh, in voice. She's a first soprano. She's a very, very, very good singer. Fantastic. And uh, she went there and just went, I don't want to go to college. Love it. She was just like, yep. I love singing. And she's very, very good at it, but she just decided college wasn't her thing. Yeah. She wasn't going to do that. And so she and my dad ended up getting married. Uh, and and then uh, we joked that my, my parents didn't have kids for a long time. They didn't get married for seven years. So we joked that every year that my parents didn't have kids, they had kids. Or yeah. my parents, sorry, every year that my parents were married and didn't have kids, my mom was like, hey, we should have a kid. Yeah, and my right. dad was like, no. And so it just kept stacking up. And there are seven kids in our family. And so we're the oldest three of seven kids. Wow. And so we started singing, like I said, when we were really young. Uh, our first major record was released in 1997 called Middle of Nowhere. Yes. Uh, and it, the first single was called Umbop. Uh-huh. Uh, and you and guys had one. not had haircuts for maybe a year or two before you shot the album. Cover. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, and it was funny because that was actually kind of a very rebellious thing of us to do growing yeah. up in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Yeah. They were like, why do your kids have long hair? Mm-hmm. And we were like, because we're in a band, yeah. right? You know, it's like that thing, right? So and, how old were you when Middle of Nowhere came out? I was... 16. 16. 16. Yeah. I think I was 11, 12. I remember remember, uh, somebody passing the CD around in orchestra. It was in orchestra. And uh, I took- The yellow CD. Yeah. I looked at the album cover and the first thing I thought was, man, those chicks are hot. But (laughs) somebody- Somebody was like, well, I was like, I got news for you. And then, and then, yeah, the rest is history there. Uh, you, and, you and Quagmire. Dude. Yeah. So, but here's a family guy. Here's also, here's the other thing I vividly remember about middle of nowhere, um, is that we, my, my science teacher had, uh, her daughter was in our grade, but not in our class. Yeah. And somebody was passing around the CD in middle school. And I was like, have you heard of these guys? These guys are amazing. Mm. And then my science teacher said, uh, oh, my daughter just got that CD. She loves Hanson. And then this girl named Melanie goes, um, did they get the CD or did she get the tape? And then my science teacher said, well, I mean, she got the tape. And then Melanie goes, oh, and it was really snobby and dramatic. And I just remember being like, dude, Melanie is super mean. But she was pretty, so she got away with it. Yeah, Rachel well, McCann. a little, little note, though, there was an extra song on the CD and uh, not on the tape. Oh. If I remember correctly. Or at least in the first pressing, anyway. Is it a, a secret track or an extra song? Well, it's kind of a secret track, yeah. It was called, it was called Man from Milwaukee. Oh. It's the last. Man from Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, I know that. Song. We could ask yeah. Lauren over here. Yeah, Should I believe know. it was only on the CD originally. Yeah, I think we might have. I think the label, or at least that was the intention. Yeah, 
I don't know whether that actually ended up. And now that I think about it, it may not have actually happened. Was it because there's no space on the tape? <laughs> no, we just thought it was kind of cool. Oh, man. That is cool. It sucks for the tape users. Yeah, but... Um, you know, it sucks for my science teacher's daughter. That's... Yeah. yeah. Melody it was also was track right. 21. It wasn't track 13. So you had to wait and it would count down to like track Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Green day. Uh, so, and, um, and uh, yeah. And also, too, the middle of nowhere was technically like our... It's kind of like our third or fourth record, really. Yeah. Because we'd made indie records before that. So sure. that was kind of like... Because we, you know... Northeast Oklahoma and Tulsa and like Southern Kansas and Missouri and all that kind of stuff. Played a bunch of gigs, probably played about three, four hundred gigs before we got Joplin, signed. Joplin, wow. Coweta, yeah. Sky Took, playing all those. You're joking, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Coweta. You know, played a bunch of. Playing we played at the a bunch Elks Lodge of, uh, and the Noon Lions. We played a bunch of school assemblies in Moore and uh, Norman and all throughout uh, the Oklahoma yeah. City area as well. Did you play. Uh, did you play malls, the mall gigs? Well, we did a little bit of that when the first record came oh, out. So that was okay. Gotcha. Yeah, and a, li a little bit locally. I think we did a few little like talent show type things. Actually, our very first gig was was an audition at uh, what is no longer a mall, but it, but it was called Eastland Mall back then uh, because the oldies radio station was sponsoring the uh, the community stage at Mayfest, which uh -huh. was a local music and arts festival in Tulsa. And we listened to the oldie station because we'd gotten obsessed with like late 50s or 60s rock and roll uh, while we were traveling. Yeah. Um, or, uh, with our dad was an accountant for an oil company. And so we went down to, we went down to Ecuador, Trinidad, and Venezuela. And while we were there, we had some like greatest hits from 1958. Oh, yeah. And so then we were really into all these music, listening to the oldies station. And as it happened, that was the station that was sponsoring the community stage gig. And so we got the gig. I think I, I, it's interesting to hear that because I do feel, I do sense the roots, like the the Motown roots mm -hmm. uh, in the Hanson sound. Definitely. Uh, it's very, um, it's a very unique sound. Uh, well, I think it is. Right. Um, it's like, it's, it's a jammy, but accessible pop. But uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, piano, guitar, drums driven yeah. uh the rhythms are incredible i've seen you guys play uh and in the chops the, you guys got chops off the charts i mean it's it's oh, it's you, a tight chops off the charts. chops off the charts it's amazing Lo lots of rehearsing so get, take us back to just real quick 1997 uh yeah. what what happened what so what happened? The, the album comes out to my soul or to <laughs> well no i mean yes i mean a lot happened really fast i mean yeah, you're in tulsa and then all of a sudden, I mean, you guys are playing stadiums. You're playing SNL. I remember you yeah. guys were on SNL. That was a big yeah. deal. The end of um, I remember watching just nice as a twelve year old, eleven year old, you yeah. know, just being like, "His chicks are hot," you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Teasing, you know. Dude, he was very attractive. And, and for those of you who don't know, um, that is hair hairism. Hairism, yeah, uh, it's kind of like ageism or sexism. <laughs> yeah, it's hairism. I, I if I have long hair, if I have long hair, I'm I'm a girl in a band. You're a that's girl. great. That's that's very judgy. I know. I, I apologize. <laughs> it's very judgy. I, I apologize. Back no, in, I'm, I'm kidding. So what well, happens? It's so, really funny actually because you have long hair. <laughs> I know. Your hair looks like mine did back in 1997. Oh, I know. That's, um, that's kind of where I'm stuck. You know. You know. Uh, what happened? Uh, <laughs> you probably don't remember all the, the days of day, the day, oh, day oh, I mean, he just remembered where this first day there, there's, was. A, yeah, I mean, there's six, a lot. You're 16 years old and, and 
you know, you're propelled out of the, the B town yeah. to the world stage. What happened to, for that to happen? What well, happened I, for I that mean, to I think, happen? I think we had inklings that something like that could happen partially yeah. because of, partially because of being fans of Elvis and the Beatles and things like that. So you kind of see a version of that and you go, yeah. oh, oh, that's the goal, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. But of course you don't know if that'll actually happen for real. But then we started doing, we started doing uh, school assemblies and things of that nature, got invited by principals and, and, and teachers kind of as a combination of entertainment and inspiration saying, hey guys, chase your dreams. Hey, we're doing this. You might be able to do this too, whatever that dream is. I love that. You know, you want to be an engineer and, you know, go to space. You want to, you know, you want to be in a band, go for it. You want to be an actor, whatever, you know, but but put in the work and, and go for it. Anyway, so we were doing that kind of thing. And when we did those kind of events and the shows, we had a very similar reaction Mm-hmm. as we did when Middle and Over came out, just on a sc- much smaller scale. Yeah. Uh, and so you'd get a lot of this very intense kind of kind of r- real serious excitement and screaming. And especially as we did more of that, more of those fans would come to more different gigs around yeah. Oklahoma City or Tulsa or Little Rock or, you know, Wichita, Kansas or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and so... I think in a weird way, we had seen a version of that happening and thought to ourselves, well, this is kind of where it's going, mm-hmm. but you never know. Yeah. You never know whether that'll work. And and the scale of it was absolutely stunning. Yeah. And, yeah. and the kind of thing that I think you're, when you're, when you're 16, it's all, you know, right. Yeah. So you don't have anything to compare it to yeah. me. Now I'm, I just turned 42. Yeah. Now I'm like, Wow. That was even crazier than I thought it was. It was as crazy, if not more crazy than I thought it was. Because uh, uh, amongst other things uh, right now in 2022, pop culture is a lot more siloed than it was back then. Like culturally, like there are a lot more things that uh, a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old is very familiar with. Mm -hmm. But other people on either side of that age group are probably not. Um, whereas in the late nineties, if you were getting played a lot on the radio, you were getting played a lot for a lot of Uh people that may or may not be fans and certainly are not just requesting it on Spotify, right. Uh Or, or Apple music or whatever. And so that element, I think created a, a, a much broader, uh, impact, uh, just kind of culturally where, you know, the mom and the dad are very familiar in, in a way that they might not be quite in the same way in 2022. Yeah. yeah right. Um, or, or, or maybe I should say it differently. The grandmother. Yeah. You know. Because <laughs> we're all, is. I mean, yeah. 2000 and the 2000s and back. I mean, we're all drinking from the same well. Like exactly. Listening to the same radio. We're, exactly. we're all watching the same stations. You yeah. Know, it's, there's not a lot of uh, like market segmentation like you're talking about. Exactly. And like, and like you're listening to Casey Kasem. The people who are, you know, under, under probably, well, probably under about 30 years old probably won't get this reference, but, but, you know, you're listening to, go for it anyway. You're, you're listening to, um, the countdown, the top yeah. 40 oh, yeah. most popular singles. And they do this combination of how much is getting played on the radio and how much it's selling. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know exactly what that ratio is. And probably some of it was probably paid for, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> some of it's just no marketing. Um, <laughs> next on Casey Kasem. Um, Sponsored by ASCAP. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, um, but you're hearing this countdown and it's going from some dance hit 
to Tom Petty. Yeah. yeah. And some like Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow to like Umbop to to like uh Sean Mullins. Yeah. Everything's gonna be all right. I remember exactly. listening to Rick D's in the weekly top 40. And I, I, yeah. I was like down in the top five and I was like, please, please let Rockabye be number one. Please let yes. Rockabye. And Dude, I remember so I remember good. the week that Rock-a-bye. it was. I was like, yes, I love this song. <laughs> Edwin McCain. That was another Brian one I was Adam. really Edwin McCain for. is great. You know who else who who else is really great? And he's about it's about my age, uh, Mark Broussard. Do you know Mark Broussard? Yes. Fantastic yeah. voice. Fantastic. He was more Artist. of a producer for a long time, right? Uh, not as, not well. I mean, he, yeah, I'm sure he has produced yeah. bunch of stuff, but he's, he, uh, he is a especially soulful yes. singer from yes. Louisiana, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He has that. Yeah. yeah. So you're all drinking from the same well. There's a lot of success going on. And then yeah. you end up touring the world. And we end up touring the world. The first, our first time in uh, Australia, uh, we were supposed to play uh, at a record store. And then they were like, there's so much demand for this. We're going to move it outside the parking lot. Yeah. And then they were like, there's so much demand for it. We're going to have to put up barricades. Yeah. And we showed up and there were somewhere between eight and 12,000 people there. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we had similar experiences in Kansas City, in New Jersey, uh, and all that kind of just absolutely nuts response to to Umbop, but also just to the record as a whole. And that continued, you know, that continued for many, many years. Uh-huh. Um, well, yeah. So what was the follow-up uh, after that? Middle so of Nowhere comes out, blows up. And then, middle of Nowhere comes out and then you have singles like Where's the Love, yeah. I Will Come to You and Weird. Uh-huh. Um, although some of my favorite songs are some of the funkier ones like Look at You and Speechless and yeah. and things of that nature on the record. As far as like as a player, as uh-huh. a writer, those were really, really fun to record and, and, and play. Uh, Madeline is one of my favorites too um, on that record. Um, but wait, wait one second. Would sophomore? you say? Oh God. Would you say that that was like daunting? Were you all nervous? You know, all of a sudden going to play for eight, twelve thousand people, or or at such a young age, does that not phase you? Is it just like you know? This is it what doesn't. We know. It, it's it, it does phase you. Uh-huh. It does phase you. But you don't end up in that situation without having without having a certain level of confidence uh-huh. and practice. Yeah. I think I think the thing I think what we're seeing now with a lot of younger artists that are kind of have had somewhat similar trajectories as we have had as at young ages uh-huh. is they have not had nearly as much live on stage experience as we've had. Yeah. Like when we were when we were doing that yeah. that gig in front of, you know, I don't remember I don't remember what the final count was. I know it was 8,000. I mean that's uh-huh. a lot of people. That's that's, that's an people. arena worth yeah. of people, especially back in the 90s because arenas were smaller back then. Yeah. Um but um but you uh you're you're playing for about for between 8 and 12,000 people and 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 it's that we had done that kind of thing with a lot of with a lot of pressure even though it wasn't nearly that many people. Mm-hmm. M- hundreds upon hundreds of times yeah. with an acoustic guitar and just, you know, playing. And we only, we only had about six songs yeah. that we could really do in that environment that mm-hmm. the audience would know, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And that was, and so you just kind of doing everything you could. Yeah. Cause you're like, Hey guys, this wasn't a gig. We weren't yeah. expecting this. We were just here as a, for a promo <laughs> thing. It's like, you know, Hey, 20 minutes, maybe 25 yeah. minutes. And uh-huh. then we're, we'll sign some records and stuff, you know? Um, so, I think, 
I hope it doesn't sound cocky, but I don't think we weren't really nervous in uh-huh. that way. Yeah. I think we felt really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that my dad used to always say was, t- you know, take a deep breath, take this in. You'd never know how long this is going to last. So treat every moment like this is a blessing and a gift and treat everybody you meet like this is the only time you'll ever meet them. Mm-hmm. And I know you're tired and I know there's a lot going on, but as best as you can, stay present with these people and remember every single interaction you have is maybe the only one ever. Yeah. So, you know, basically put your best foot forward as much as you can. That's a lot of wisdom. That is. Yeah. And so did, it sounds like your dad played a significant role in the early years. Is that true? Well, so my dad played, yeah, actually our dad works for us. He still does. He, he's our kind of CFO. Yeah. Uh, he was, he's actually a certified public accountant as well and has, and was, and did that kind of role in an oil company. And then, and, yeah. but he's like the most artsy accountant you've ever met. Yeah. Most extrovert. He was really more like the guy who had a big enough personality and kind of, he's relatively tall. He's about six, two yeah. and, and, and kind of a, a very confident guy. And he kind of played that role of being between the drillers who are just hard nosed. I mean, you know, like football player kind of guys, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. very blue collar and very just kind of rough around the edges at times and all that kind of stuff. And, and the accountants who were often just so by the book and just not really kind of able to meet these right. <laughs> driller guys where they were at. And so my dad was kind of the translator. We say, we say driller guys, you, like roughnecks out on the field. Roughnecks like, out like, on the field. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Actually working in the oil fields. Actually working yeah. in the oil fields. Yeah. And so so that was kind of my dad's role. And so uh, he was definitely a good kind of protector personality as far as being willing to stand up and say, hey, the day is too long. Yeah. You know, these these guys need rest. They need sleep. They need to be able to kind of get up in the morning and do their job. Our mom was the promoter. And the reason why we got all those early gigs, I mean, no offense to my dad, because it was my mom. Yeah. Our mom is like the person that says, uh, there is no such thing as a rule. There's just a rule that is a suggestion that may not apply to me. <laughs> You know, so like, I love your mom. Yeah. Right. She is like the consummate entrepreneur. She is, uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with things like strength finders, which is this kind of personality test type thing. My mom has woo, which is winning others over. Oh, great. And so, and she also, I think has a a term that's referred to as maximizer, which Uh means my mom asks you questions, finds out information and then goes and solves those problems. Oh, I love that. So like, does so your mom she, need a job? Can she work here? <laughs> she she's really good at solving <laughs> problems. Awesome. She like like and uh, lots of energy. So when we said, "Hey, mom, we need to we need to make a record," yeah, she went, "Okay, okay, I'm gonna solve this problem. No problem." And she uh, like, "Yeah, but it's ten o'clock at night." She's like, "I'll call all the studios. I'll wake people up. It's time to get the record recorded." <laughs> you know? My boys need a record. Exactly. I'm get it done. Exactly. So I mean, like, you know, you know, finding the finding the way to be at the like, you know, talent show booth thing to sell the CD or the tape yeah. or whatever. She was just on it. Yeah. That. So. So. That what was the sophomore record called? Sophomore record was called this time around. It came out in two thousand. That was say this time around. This time around. Which is the one with the. Panty and meat tonight. That's with, underneath. That's the third record. That's the third one. Okay, yeah. gotcha. That's our first independent record. And actually, that's about to hit 20 years since that record. Oh, wow. my God. Yeah, this year is the, this year, two, uh, 2023, is the 20th anniversary of the acoustic tour that we did to set up that record. So mm-hmm. interestingly enough, we have our first big record. It sold like 8 million copies around the world, which mm-hmm. is 
crazy. That's a lots a lot of copies. Yeah, people and people records aren't selling like that anymore. I think we're hitting no. like one and a half million, two million at this point. Well, people don't sell them; they stream them, right, and right. there's all kinds of mm-hmm. kind of issues with that in certain ways. Because on one level, it's like, oh wow, power to the people. On another level, it's like, hey guys, this. The economics of this are really problematic, especially yeah. for people who are up and coming. Mm-hmm. Like, good luck to the guy at the that's doing the bar gig because he can't generate a ten dollars sale. Yeah, for a, of a CD, right? And he needs that ten bucks because yeah. he's only getting paid a hundred, hundred fifty dollars as a solo artist, maybe you yeah. know. And if he's lucky as a band, he might get three hundred. Yeah, you know, if he's good. Yeah. And if he's got a really good relationship with a with a bar and he's really generating a lot of money, maybe he negotiates for, you know, 80 to 100 bucks for each guy. Maybe. And yeah. if he's in Nashville, he's paying $300 <laughs> yes, to play a exactly. bar. And so, that's the difference. Exactly. So all of these things, so all of these things create a complicated dynamic for people who are up and coming, especially in 2020. Uh, but or 2023 now. Yeah. Right. So so um where am I going? I'm well, man. I've changed. Well, I think no. It. I think it's interesting because what it's what it does is it uh, for everybody that you know that we talk to it it puts it just puts more pressure to be on the road because that's where you make the money. That's you make, where you, you make know, the money. You make money on the road, and then it's also in a good way. I think it's innovative yeah. merchandise. Yes, it is. And so sometimes yes, a lot of has. people like the business model is you yeah. know, 20, 25 percent merchandise on a tour. It's huge, and so I think oh, it, yeah. what it's done is it's innovated some creativity mm-hmm. in the merch area. We can't just put your name on a T-shirt with mm-hmm. a tour schedule on the back, which yeah. is still my. My favorite piece of merch, the tour shirt. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's in. A, we should do an episode do. on on merchandise. But would you? Yeah. Would you follow that train of thought? Do you think I'm right? Do you think I'm wrong? Uh, no, I think you're right. And Good. I think that there's an advantage. <laughs> and, and, and don't get me wrong. There are real advantages in 2023 that would have been really great to have in 1997, 98, 99, 2000. Sure. That we were dreaming of, right? Which is, man, if you had a direct connection to all your audience members back then, goodness gracious, I don't yeah. even know what, what that would be like. That would be phenomenal. Yeah. Amongst other things, because it takes some of the power out of the label's hands. And that was the real problem that we ended up having was after our first major record yeah we then also toured the following year in 1998 and by the time we released our second record this time around the entire label that was responsible for signing us basically everybody but a few people in the pr department were all fired Wonderful. so our a and r guy yeah the the upper level executives there were a few there were actually there were a few mid-level executives that were still there but basically most of the people we had relationships with most of the people who knew the lay of the land and knew who the audience was and knew why we were signed in the first place and everything else were gone yeah and then you end up in this situation where you're trying to promote a record but you're introducing yourself to a label that you know would have never signed you in the first place <sighs> <laughs> and they kind of, you kind of like, man, I don't yeah. think they even really like us very much. Right. Uh, and there were a lot of reasons for that. Some of which was just, there were so many people from the hip hop side that it was a little bit like fish out of water situation. Uh-huh. Just, what do I do with these brothers? What do I do with these brothers? What do I do with pop music? Oh, it's just family not, band. Yeah. And, and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and then, so it took a long time for that record to get made for the, both of those reasons of, of losing yeah. the label and also kind of the you know, the process of getting to know that label. But then that ultimately resulted in us leaving that label because it was like, this is not a good fit. And we had to fight really hard to get off. And so that took us three to four years to get off, get the record made and get off. So by 2003, we do an under acoustic tour. And by 2004, that record underneath that you mentioned that has Penny and Me on it. Yeah. Um, That came out. 
And that was a number one independent record. We were we were very, very proud of that. I think that's the, at the time, that was the largest shipping uh, independent record that uh, our distributor had ever done. And over 150,000 sh- shipped in the first week. Whoa. Wow. Uh, which is a lot. And and especially for an indie record, that's and, more people buying my record than my record. Yeah, and and so um, and so I think that was the number, something like that. Maybe it was two thousand two hundred. It was it was a lot. Um, but either way, uh, we came off of that record and basically had to kind of rebuild. Yeah. It, the the short of it is, we had a lot of fans who had stuck with us, but when you spend that much time in the studio, not really able to adequately communicate with your audience. Yeah. Which in hindsight, we probably should have figured out ways to tour during that period but we were so focused on the fact that the label was just stonewalling us Mm -hmm. and making it really difficult and they'd kind of done it twice because they did it with the this time around record too in in different ways Mm -hmm. mostly because they didn't understand the band in the first place yeah and then the second or the third record they're like wait well the second record didn't work as well as the first record and we're like well we all know why Because this is a misfit. This it doesn't quite work here. Uh-huh. So anyway, so we have, and since then we've we've been you, independent. You, you, the, all the albums since then have been independent. All the albums since then have been independent. So from underneath, which was released in two thousand four, yeah. uh, till now, with this latest record, Red Green Blue, Symphony Record, right before that, called String Theory, and and you know, bunch bunch of other records. So, so. even though it was independent, uh, I got a question. So I mean, you're doing a lot of you're doing a lot more work. You know, yeah, when oh, yeah. You're, yeah, you're doing everything. So, well, uh, we're doing the kind of work that you guys do on a day to day basis. When you're running a when you're running a guitar right. pedal company, you're like, well, we're building stuff, we're shipping it out, we're yeah. we're we're designing it, we're doing podcasts. You're, 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 yeah. It's oh, very entrepreneurial. I mean, you're starting a business, very much. You know, very much. Uh, so, w- when you're making a record independently, I mean, do you kind of go through some of the same motions that you would if you were with labels? So, like, are mm-hmm. you booking? You're deciding on who's engineering it. Are you booking a producer? Are you doing self-produced? Are these self-produced albums? Did you bring in a producer? Are you recording in Tulsa? Are you recording in Los Angeles? I mean, what's that look like for your first, you know, independent record well, until now? For one, I love working with other people. It's really, really fun. It uh, is. They, it adds a new perspective and it's very, very valuable. Um, but because the three of us are all singers and songwriters, we're definitely pretty good at being each other's editors. Yeah. And so there's a lot of opinions even just within the three of us. And we paid a lot of attention, you know, uh, you know, you start off doing this really young. And so we had, whether it was uh, the, whether it was, you know, the Dust Brothers on the first record and Stephen Laroni, who also was very instrumental in making that record mm-hmm. happen, middle and over. And then also our friend Mark Hudson, who did the Christmas record and then the This Time Around record with us. And then our friend Greg Wells, who worked on the uh, Underneath album, as well as, uh, as well as Danny Korchmar, who produced uh, Penny and Me. Yeah. Uh, and then produced The Walk, which was the following record after that with us. Oh, that was a good album. Yeah. And then and then the first record that we fully produced, fully self-produced, was this album called Shout It Out. Uh, that was our first or that was our first fully self-produced. We had done a bunch of different things on Underneath and a few things on The Walk uh, completely on our own. Yeah. Underneath a little bit more than the walk because there it is. Yeah, 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 there you go. Because of the problems <laughs> of of dealing with the label with the underneath album, we just kind of said we're going to the studio. And we're going to do this our way, whether yeah. anybody approves it or not. You know, and so so there was more self producing on the underneath album than there was on the walk. But 
But both of those records kind of, I think, honed our skills a little bit. Yeah. And, and by the fifth record, we were like, we know what we want to do. Mm-hmm. We'll just spend a lot of time rehearsing. And then we'll just go in and off the floor, we'll just play this record down. And so Shout It Out is very much a, a off the floor kind of record. The what wa- do you mean by off the floor? I mean, basically live in the studio. Okay, cool. So, so the three of us are playing all of the kind of main tracks, the main electric guitar, the main piano, uh, and in some cases, uh, the, the bass as well, uh, w- was played by uh, our bass player at the time, Will Burkhead. Will uh, Burkhead. Or, or that so- is a great name. Or in some cases, I, I, I was playing bass live uh, as well. All those guitar players think they could just step yeah. in and play bass. Well, yeah, no, and, it, and you can't. <laughs> the same way. You I'm can't. I mean, you, I think I can, you know? You, well, you can to a degree. It just depends on how how much you can kind of switch off guitar player mode and turn into. Yeah. Well, my thing, I think I can, and then I show up, and it's like, I just genuinely can't remember the kick pattern. I'm really sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a reasonably good guitar, good uh-huh. bass player, but yeah. not, but, but I don't spend a ton of time doing it on, you know, live, so it doesn't always come out that way um so you're are you, do you still do you self-produce these records that are coming out now or do you bring in a producer or what's going on wow man oh gosh that's a great question uh, so uh thanks <laughs> uh well so shout it out and then the following record anthem uh and then the record after that uh string theory string theory and then uh and then against the world, all three, all four of those were yeah. self-produced. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we also do every single year. So you were talking about being entrepreneurial yeah. and having kind of having to embrace unique models. We actually have a fan club that people pay $40 a year to be a part of. And they get uh, points back on merchandise purchases. They get, they get to cut the line at shows, especially mm-hmm. GA shows. That becomes really important. Which is like mm-hmm. kind of Patreon before Patreon existed. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. been going Genius. for 20 years. Yeah. This has been going for 20 years since the year 2000. It's great. Genius. Um, uh, we were actually stream. technically, we were acti- actually technically an ISP at one point. In 2000, we were an internet service provider. There were dial-up, there was dial-up service for Henson.net. My man. Wow. Very tight. And, and emails and all that. I stuff. love it. We've, we've, we've since shifted away from that slightly. Yeah. Uh, or actually fully at this point. That your, your business model isn't to be an ISP anymore? No. no. Okay, gotcha. no, no. Thank God. Because <laughs> it was a hassle. It was a hassle. But, um, but uh, so what I was going to say was that um, we've shifted to, we not only provide people kind of, shall we say, points back for, for, the, for the kind of loyalty. It's kind of like a loyalty program, basically. Uh-huh. But you also have cutting in line at shows. You have meet and greets that only fan club members can get access to. Mm-hmm. We do interviews with a fan club member at every single show for about 15 minutes. So we randomly pick one of those people who's in the meet and greet to, to do an interview with you for about 15 minutes. We That's do. how we got you on here today, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we also. Do you have to say that you want to be selected yes. for the so interview? There's a, so, th- so you have to say because I feel like I would be nervous to be like, please don't pick me. I just oh, wanna, actually, oh, 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 I just that you want to be a me- no, no, no. We just randomly pick you and say, hey, do you want to do the interview? I would be like, I just wanted to see you guys up close. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to do the interview thing. So yeah, just pick somebody else. So, <laughs> so what people do do is they is they log into their account. And then they let us know what shows they're going to be at. Yeah. And then from that list of saying, you know, I'm going to be there, I'm, I'm, I'm requesting a meet and greet. I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we also, uh, we also, you know, select that reporter from that, uh, from that, uh, group. And then we also do a five song EP for the fan club every single year. So we actually have released more music to, to our fan club members than we have to the general public. Wow. There's uh, over, I think there's over 65 songs now that are original only to the members. And as an example for people who are on Spotify or anything like that, as an example of the stuff we do for the 20th anniversary of the, of the fan club, we decided to release a collection of songs. And so there are 20 songs from that list of songs that we released called Perennial. It's called Perennial and it has, and so you can hear, so you can hear some of the, of the, you know, of the, of the, of the songs yeah. that we've released over the years. And we actually put out an original, uh, a unique song called Nothing Like a Love Song, which is also on there that had never been released before. What I think is That's interesting funny. is um, that I, you have a very committed fan base. And I think it yeah. speaks to the way that Hanson was able to, uh, to kind of innovate and bring their fans in closer. Um, I think of bands like Fish, yeah. uh, Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put down Switchfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, they're very active. Wolfpack. Yep. Uh, and then I also put I also put Third Eye Blind. You yeah. meet a third eye. You meet somebody who's a Third Eye Blind fan. That's it's a very yeah. oh, fiery yeah. fan type of person. Yeah. Uh, I only know that because that's the group I'm in. Um, <laughs> and hey, man. Uh, yeah. So I actually think that there's more similarity between us, Hanson, and Third Eye Blind than there is most bands. Yeah. In, in a sense way? of well, in the sense that. When they were coming up, while we were much younger than them, mm-hmm. and while, while we lean more R&B than they do, there's yeah. a lot of similarity in the sense of it's pop music, but as a band, there's a lot of guitar stuff. They're more guitar-based because we have Taylor on keys, and so there's a lot of kind of more. Mm-hmm. And that's where some of that R&B stuff comes from, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, we play, Zach plays drums as well, yeah. you know, is more in that R&B world. But I think that the challenge that we had was, and, and it's an advantage, too. But the challenge we always had was we were younger than all of the people that we were more similar to, like, or the people that we looked up to, or the people we wanted yeah. to kind of hang out with musically. Yeah. Blues, uh, you know, uh, Blues Traveler or Johnny Lang or Third Eye Blind or, you know, uh, Semisonic, yeah. whatever, you know, like Semisonic. all these bands. Um, but that was kind of oh, more. Were you gonna say, did you did you skip over Smash Mouth on purpose? Oh my god! Oh, I didn't. Smi- I didn't <laughs> skip over Smash Mouth on purpose. But I will say, uh, my, um, walking on the sun. It. Might as well be walking on the sun is a absolutely amazing song, dude. Talk about another but record that, that got passed that, around that, in my orchestra class. That, that, that. Yeah, that was <laughs> no joke. Dude, I like to that was a sound. Well, the coconut teeth, the well, just singing perfect comedy. Dude, that Great was song. kind of a phase, <laughs> and we kind of just as uh, as a planet kind of went yeah. through a phase where swing was okay, like just kind yeah. of that '50s era syncopated swing yeah. inspired. Uh, I mean, there were like swing bands on the radio for a while, right? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Big of, Bad Voodoo Daddy. Oh my gosh. other things. Yeah, what yeah, is yeah. that? The one of the swing bands. Big. <laughs> Uh, I mean, one of the, one of the big band swing like? bands. <laughs> so, basically, so kind of what I was getting at is that you guys have kind of innovated the way that that you bring your fans in closer. And I, I am comparing you guys to like Grateful Dead, Fish, yeah. Switchfoot. In that, well, way. there's a very specific reason. Well, there's for like that. there's just like a, like it's a strategic business model, um, and I hate to call it a business model, but it is. And and if you're not with a label and your revenue is completely dependent on how hard you're pushing the gas pedal. Mm-hmm. You got to do things like this. Yeah, um, and our 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 very first manager was a deadhead. 
There you go. Yep. He he had been to over a hundred Grateful Dead concerts. Yeah. That's, and he was in his early thirties. That's a hundred more than I've been to. You know, and and and, uh, and so which I actually really need to go to a Dead and Co show just to just to do it. Wouldn't that? Yeah, we need I to need do to it. do it. I just need to do it. Uh, in if nothing else, in honor of my of our manager, <laughs> for, first manager Christopher yeah. Christopher Sabek. Uh, but yeah. uh, if you if you're listening, you don't know Dead and Co. That's the the that's, combo between John Mayer and uh, and the Grateful and Dead the Grateful members, Dead. The, le- the the members that are still playing. Yeah. Uh, and um, anyway. But yeah, we, he talked about that loyalty and that relationship and what they did. And, and we tried as best as we could to employ that kind of strategy. And to the uh, point to where, to the point to where, especially on our second record this time around, when we were touring, we would have, we, we sold these things called tour, tour programs, which is basically a magazine of sorts. It was about, yeah about 20 pages and it had photos and it had kind of stuff about the tour and oh. and it was mostly just a merchandise item but in it it also had a list of all the songs that we had released up until that point mm-hmm. and then a list of covers that we'd rehearsed and then a list and then below that multiple lines that said if the song you heard tonight is not on this list fill it in here and and the idea was that people could, that we were Letting people know we're gonna we're probably gonna play these these songs yeah. at some point yeah. during this tour. Which ones of these have you seen? And there was a check mark next to each one of the songs. Uh-huh. And so the idea was to encourage people to realize that we were changing the set list every night. I think we might have even said in the tour program, Hanson changes their set every single night. Yeah, make sure to know what songs you've seen and keep track of it here. Yeah. Wow. And so we were by the year 2000 when we we're touring on that second record we're doing that. Um underneath we we're doing that. We probably did that even more by the time we hit the walk which was our four, fourth record. We were changing it a lot. Yeah. And that's always kind of been a big part of our mantra is yeah, we're not a jam band but we're a set list change band. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, that'll really get people to want to come out to multiple shows which yeah. I know y'all have people that mm-hmm. That's travel the world with you yeah pretty much yeah so. and it's not by accident i mean it's yeah. very deliberate because tell, tell me about that how do you like when you're creating a set list what, what's the goal well it, it it depends on a couple things we do keep track of of the set lists uh the set list over the years so the if archives. you're yeah so if you're in tulsa or, or if you're in dallas or melbourne australia or buenos aires or wherever you're playing a show you'll often reference the set that you did last time. Mm, yeah. And hopefully you kept track of the audibles that you called because there are definitely cases where the set list <laughs> changes. Um, but anyway, we reference that and say to ourselves, well, it's important that we make it different mm. than the last time we were here. Yeah. And how can we make it different and how can we make it unique and how can we make it special? And how can we play a song maybe, if we played a bunch of songs from Middle of Nowhere but didn't play, you know, the song Madeline. Well, yeah. let's make sure we play that one yeah, and, totally. and less of some of these other ones. Or, you know, you just, and you just deliberately go, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm referencing what we did before. What is the overall kind of goal of the set list? Well, first of all, you're hosting a party. So your yeah, goal yeah. is to make it a great party. You're a host. I like that. I Man, like that. So imagery. you go like, oftentimes we start off, there are kind of the slow, there's the slow build start where it's like setting a mood. Mm-hmm. creating tension and then yeah. the big kind of boom 
or sometimes you just come right out and you play a song like, you know, Higher by, you know, Sly and the Family Stone and just go, bam. Yeah. Yeah. Bam. I'm there. I'm at the show. And so you just, so so it depends on the it depends on the tour. And actually, this tour we kind of had two different ways that we started off the the show. We had kind of a we kind of had a hard hitting one, and then we had a slow build one. Yeah. And we'd kind of go back and forth a lot between and that actually see that actually still changes yeah as i'm thinking back to it there's probably like seven songs we started the show with and you never knew which one it was going to be i love it you knew though yeah yeah i knew yeah (laughs) because i have to know when zach clicks off yeah (laughs) one two three all right so you know not a lot of bands have to think through this but you do have to think through it like you like how about bands with number one hits like where like where do you put the number one do you play it do you play it yeah as it's heard, do you redo it? You know, talk to me about the ideology of of having a number one, yeah, and and kind of where it goes in the set and why and and how you do you think about that? Well, it's changed over the years. I mean, and, and it depends on the tour too. Like for example, the um, the String Theory show that we did, which is also an album. If people want to hear our symphony record, uh, explode that out just for a second. Talk yeah. to us about what the string. I think it's really cool. Talk to us about what the String Theory album is. So in 2019, this was originally an I uh, 2018 and 2019, uh, we did a project that was originally thought of as maybe the 25th anniversary. Yeah. Of the band. Mm-hmm. And then it took long. We we started to realize it was going to take longer than we'd originally thought. And we wanted to make sure that it was really interesting and good. And so we said, okay, we're going to delay this a year. We'll do the 25th anniversary tour. And then the following year, we'll release String Theory. Yeah. And so S- String Theory is basically, it's as close to a musical as you could get, I think, without being a musical. It, 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 it has a very strong story component to it. There's a lot of ebb and flow, especially in the first half of the show where you're transitioning from one song to the next and they're telling a story. And there's a song called Reaching for the Sky, which start which starts the first half and the second half of the show. And it's broken up into two halves because that's the way orchestras work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You play for about 45 to 50 minutes and then you stop mm-hmm. for about 30 minutes and then you play for 45 yeah. to 50 minutes. So... So it's broken up into halves and there's a song called Reaching for the Sky and it introduces a character. He says, there's a boy I used to know. who's always searching high and low. Uh, others uh, would stop and wonder and ask, and others stop and wonder why he'd say, I am reaching for the sky. Yeah. And so it's this, I, it's this boy with these aspirations mm-hmm. uh, and, and it talks about how the people, there were many people that would tell him, oh, your your idea is foolish and you're just doing this for ego's sake and all this kind of thing. And he said, no, that's not why I'm doing it. I'm, I, I'm reaching for, you know, the sky for kind of for my heart, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, and so there are two parts to that song. And the story basically just shows him having this inspiration of joy for music, this concern that people will not understand who he is. Yeah. Uh, but he's just doing it for love. And then the song Umbop is the fifth, is the fourth song, I think, in the show. Or is it fifth song? Uh, I think it's fifth song, actually. Sorry. Four and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, and it's deliberately, Umbop is deliberately in there for the reason uh, uh, that relates to our own career, but uh-huh. also the lyrics specifically. Because the lyrics are about taking risk 
and embracing the things that matter to you and not being afraid of being rejected. Yeah. Because you because rejection will happen and you're experiencing it now, mm. but you have to look, you have to hold on to the things that really matter because in the end, that's the things that you really care about, right? And those people that care about you in that way, mm-hmm. otherwise you'll always be chasing someone else's dream. You have to chase what you're meant to do, not yeah. what other people think you should do. Yeah. And yeah. so the song, and so that is song number five in that show. Mm-hmm. So that's a dramatic example. Sometimes Umbop is in the acoustic set. Sometimes Umbop is at the very end of the show. Sometimes Umbop's in the encore. Yeah. Um, uh, it it just, it depends. I mean, and you have songs like Where's the Love, yeah. uh, Middle, um, Minute yeah. Without You, I Will Come to You, Weird, that are all on that first record that all continually are big fan favorites. Uh, I mean, it's all, it, it all depends on the show. Yeah. You have to, I think you just have to know your audience well enough. Yeah. I think, and in our case, I think we know our audience well enough to know that I'd say probably close to 70% of the people who are there while they love songs like Umbop and while they love yeah. songs off that first record, I'd say close to 70% of the people who are in the audience in the end know that they're there for more than just one thing. Yeah. They're there for an experience, as I said, yeah. for a party. Well, that, yeah, that mm-hmm. talks about just the, the the interesting, more committed fan base that I think Hanson yeah. has. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I asked Dan Wilson this because, you know, you got to, if Simisonic plays, you got to play Closing Time, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Is in how, how does it feel to, to know that yeah. like, you're up, you got it, you got to do the thing. Yeah. Um, do you ever get tired of playing Mbop or do you like, is it, do you see it on the set and mean like, all right, we just got to plow through it. Well, I don't know if I want to do there, this. There's one. one place that I, that I, or does it, does it always give you life? There's only one place that I don't like playing it Teach. and it's on TV. Oh yeah. Okay. Tell me, tell me if, why. If it's, if it's the, if you're being asked to go on a television show and it's the oh, only okay. song that the producer is willing to let you play. Yeah. That's irritating. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, do you turn that gig down and you just go through it? In a lot of it? cases you do. Okay, yeah. In a lot of cases you do because, uh, but but it just, it all depends. It all depends. But what I would say about that is that's only about being able to move forward. It's not because yeah. of any reservation about playing it. Uh-huh. I'll tell you this, when we did the, to reference the String Theory show again, every single time we played that song, when we played Umbop, I, I got choked up every single time time because mm. well because amongst other things and it was almost always the lyric so hold on to the ones that really care because in the end they'll be the only ones there uh-huh. and when you hit that lyric and that's in the first verse it just always got me because i'm looking out at this group of people yeah. and i'm going wow man they've been with us all this time yeah, and are. in a lot of cases it was them with their kids too because yes. that was the other really cool thing about the symphony show was because it was seated venues and not just like clubs or like rock clubs or whatever, where it's like GA and everybody's just kind of squished up next to each other. Yeah. It's seats. And Not because of the symphony that. element of the show too, mm-hmm. these fans were bringing their families in a lot of cases. And it was really cool to see, yeah, yeah. here's this, you know, 15-year-old or this 10-year-old or this five-year-old with, you know, a fan. And, and we also saw a lot of resurgence of kind of new fans in the year before that as well, where... When you hit that 25th anniversary, all of a sudden there were all these people going, wait a second, 25 years, what the heck's going on? And because of that chatter, you also get people discovering you in new ways that they wouldn't have discovered you before. And we, one of my favorite conversations with with a group of, of, uh, it was actually one 18 year old and three 16 year olds. 
And they were like, we became fan club members last week. We discovered your band four weeks ago. Oh my. Wow. <laughs> She's like, we saw you on a TV show and we were like, oh, wait, what? Man. How that's so cool. And and then and it was really, really interesting. And they and they chimed in and they said stuff like one of the particular things that I thought was really fun and made me really happy that that one of the girls said that she goes, You guys have like all these different sounds. It's really interesting. Yeah. Like there's some stuff that's like really acoustic and and really like mellow and then you got like really funky stuff and really rock stuff and we like it yeah <laughs> i love she, it i love that she said something like i like the diversity of your sound and uh, i was like sweet musical buffet this is exactly what you hope for and it's the only thing and it's the kind of thing that only years and years and years of playing together mm-hmm. is what you yeah. is the kind of thing you can get so you equated string theory, you know, kind of musical. It's a musical without being a musical. What, yeah. Are you inspired by musicals? I like musicals. I I love musicals, actually. I hated them until I got married, and I married a choir director. And then, <laughs> so I... I God become, has a sense of humor. To yeah, me. he sure does. And then I went from hating musicals to helping my wife put them on at high schools. Right. Uh, Opposites attract, maybe. It, it would be another totally. way to say and that. And I ended up loving them, because right. I think I all this, the the cliche musicals had been thrust upon me as a, as a mm-hmm. teenager, and I was like, I'm just not into this. I'm into Third Eye Blind, dudes. Yeah. Yeah, but then I heard some great... What are some musicals that, I'm that a you theater. draw? kid at heart actually yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. there's probably a part of me that's like oh man if only yeah i could have done oklahoma what, in so high what is, school yeah what are some of the new ones or timeless ones that timeless really, ones i mean it's hard to go wrong it's hard love. to go wrong with the timeless ones i mean oklahoma being an oklahoma you have to know yeah oklahoma. it's awesome i mean it is rogers and hammerstein and it's pretty yeah. darn great yeah everybody wants to be curly you know? yeah it's like oh man he's so <laughs> exactly. cool yeah. but uh but uh oklahoma is is definitely a worthwhile one um, I love White Christmas. Yes. I watched that movie religiously during the holiday season. It is so, Danny Kaye is so hilarious. He, and the back and forth between so them and Bing Crosby is yes. amazing. Hey, listen. It's cut dry. <laughs> you have and nine it's children. And yes. if you only spend five minutes with all nine of them, it'll at least give me 45 minutes so I can go out and get a coffee or something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just like, you know, and he's uh, like, you're a workaholic. It's just, and there's so many things about like, you know, like we saw the barn, we thought it was ideal. Yeah, definitely ideal. We've established the barn is ideal. <laughs> like there's just these little funny, silly things that I just love. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love singing in the rain. Gene Kelly, an amazing, amazing mm-hmm. film. And by the way, if you have not watched Casablanca, which is not a musical, yeah, but if you have not watched Casablanca, I am ashamed to uh, ashamed to admit I watched it this year. Yeah, on a plane for the very first time. That's great. Place and to I watch went. It. Forgive my French, but holy shit, this is a great movie. It is. <laughs> like, I, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, wow. Yeah. I get why everyone talks about Casablanca. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. Yeah. We talked about Casablanca on the podcast with Adam Lazara. Yeah. Um, from Taking Back Sunday. Oh, and funny. So we, we were talking about, like, what else besides music inspires you to create? And he, I think he went back and said, like, one of the greatest things that inspires me is, is the movie Casablanca. So uh, good. It, it has turns in it that you just don't expect. And the ending is so fantastic. <laughs> it really well, is fantastic. Why don't we talk <laughs> about Rodgers and Hammerstein uh, more? I mean, like, how, how, like, how, 
Incredible. How do you get these geniuses? I mean, the music is, and it, it's back to back. I mean, it's very prolific creation. I mean, it's oh, like, yeah. it's 1960, 1961. Ni- like, they're all coming out. Yeah. Like, uh, like one after the other. Is um, We just watched Sound of Music over Christmas. And I'm just like, there's not a bad track on the album. There's not a <laughs> there's not a skippable song in Sound of Music. Is Music like, Man is that also a Rogers and Hammerstein one? I don't know if it is. I couldn't tell you. Uh, we, see, a, we need we, a fact checker. We don't have a de- we, let's we call it. A de- let's we call it one. A, if we only had a device that could figure these kind of things yeah out. If, yeah no kidding wait oh. Uh, yeah, we've so, all got a lot of Harold Hill in our yeah, hearts. Yeah, do we have a fact you know? checker they can look? Uh, uh, Phillips like he doesn't. He yeah, doesn't man, I'm Rogers and Hammerstein. I know some musicals. Of these, but, man. Yeah, oh but man, anyway. I'm I'm you back in the day in the Third Eye Blind days. Back I do I enjoy some musicals, but it's not my preference. So. Did you know Stephen Jenkins was in our, our documentary uh, for the making of our third record? No, uh, for underneath, he's actually he in the involved? opening scene of the documentary. And he said, and he was being very complimentary and very, and and we, and we were actually planning on writing together. And then again, the weird dynamic with the label just kind of screwed it all up. Yeah. It was just, got, it just got weird. But he was basically like, hey man, <laughs> it's like, people are going to get it in the end. People are going to get it in the end. People get you guys right now, but they're going to get it. Yeah. In the end. And of course, yeah. Stephen, Stephen is a quirky dude. He's, it's kind of the thing where he's saying the same yeah, thing three times, but he's saying it different in a different, it means something different each the third time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in yeah. the end. I feel, I feel guilty saying out loud some of the things he said. He was very, very complimentary. So I don't, uh, I, I'm trying to be humble and not say the things he said. No, he was very you're, complimentary. You're featured on the podcast, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, musicals, Rodgers and Hammerstein. There's like, uh, some it, we could go off on that train, but Philip wouldn't be able to come with us. So, yeah. I guess y- y'all can go off on the train. I'll I guess just, no, we won't. Hey, what I want to know is uh, kind of more about the Hanson side hustles. So you guys have, <laughs> yeah, there's lots of of, of right. channels of activity and entrepreneurship yeah. within the within the Hanson uh, clan, mm. and so uh, you've got. I'm dreaming of guitar and guitar pedal. Side hustles in the near future. That's, I oh, love man. it. We, you know, we could maybe. I know. I, I maybe yeah. you know someone. We, yeah, I think I know. I, I should. I should talk to you. I about know this. two people. Um, <laughs> uh, you got three car garage. You got. Uh, you got. Uh, Hanson Brothers beer. You got mm hops or yeah. you know Hanson Brothers beer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Hop just, Jam the festival. Hop Jam. So yeah, talk. Which you came to with your wife. I've been to Hop Jam, dude. I yeah. had a great time. <laughs> yeah. at Hop Jam. Yeah. Yeah. Consumed uh, hops. So tell and jammed. Yeah, of all these side hustles, which one which one gives you life? Wow. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow. I think I think the side hustle that I, I think I mean the, the festival itself is 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 really intense and kind of stressful, but it's it's the one that I get the most excited about the kind of longevity of because yeah. Hop Jam. Um, well, unfortunately, COVID really derailed us on that one. And we're actually kind of in the process of trying to figure out how to relaunch. Yeah, because it really we were looking kinda, at it the other day. We were like, hey, let's go to Hop Jam again. And Philip and I yeah. are trying to figure out when the next one yeah, was. It, yeah, it, it, we, there, there were some things and it kind of cre- it created a situation, especially with some of the sponsors and everything else. It was just, you know, COVID, not surprisingly, yeah. was cre- created problems yeah. for people, especially Crazy. with events, you know, <laughs> people getting together. Yeah. I mean, now granted, Oklahoma was pretty, pretty chill about most relaxed. of that stuff, yeah. but 
it's still, there were so many people coming in from all over the country as it related right. to that festival that it was, it was just, it was just going to be problematic and we couldn't deal with it. It's a crazy time for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, um, we certainly, I think are in the kind of re reforming, re kind of Good. visiting stage on that. Great. Um, what is the one that gives you? What, just tell everybody what Hop Jam is, because not everybody oh, is from Oklahoma. Thank what you is very Hop much. Jam? Yeah, Hop Jam is basically the marriage between Hanson and Hanson Brothers Beer. And in other words, music and beer. Uh-huh. So it is a beer Which festival. Kind of the Venn diagram of overlap is very, very, very large. Very large. Yeah. And, and the idea was, you know, you're around brewers, and there's almost always a brew house band. That is very true. They almost always have like a band room where like they got some drums set up and people play. Every brewery is saying, you know, yes. Yeah. You know, right. And so, <laughs> and, 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 and writing songs and brewing beer is kind of weirdly similar, uh-huh. or at least psychologically it is. Meaning they're taking, they're taking risks. They're, they're trying out experiments. They're seeing which things work. And it's all a personal taste thing. It's always like uh-huh. at the end of the day, mm-hmm. listen, the master brewer and his, you know, cohorts, are talking about whether or not they think it's good enough to put into production or yep. not. Mm-hmm. And they'll try out things and they'll take risks and, you know, and, and see where that goes. And so there's a very strong kind of creativity element. Yeah. And of course, them doing things at a mass scale and brewing and putting it out into the world is kind of like what we do with shows. Uh-huh. At some point, you find things that work and then you just keep repeating those yep. and say, hey, when you come to our brewery, or when you see our label, you know you can expect a certain level of quality, and these are the things that you have told us so far that you really like that we do, and these things that you really like that we do give us an opportunity to try new things yeah. and to take risks, yeah. and hopefully we will be consistent with our quality control and our flavor profiles and so on and so forth. And so in so many ways, there are psychological kind of and pseudo-literal, com- you know, similarities. And so we see this as we start Hanson Brothers Beer Company back in, gosh, uh, 2013. Uh, 2013. Thank you. Thank you. 2013. Boom. Yeah. And uh, tw- what a great year. And 2013 was the 20, was when Mbop was, or no, when our band was 21 years old. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 The band, the, the band, band was could buy its own beer. The band could buy its own beer. <laughs> and start a beer company. <laughs> and start a beer company. And so we, we did that that was kind of a fun thing. And then we're like, you know what? Music and beer, there's all this crossover. What if we had a beer festival that featured music? Yeah. Not just, not was just there to just taste beer. And so uh, we're, like I said, we're kind of talking about how to reimagine and make that even more of a jam, for lack of a better way to say it, mm-hmm. even more of a hybrid in the way that we've kind of envisioned it being. Um, and I think... I'm hopeful that sometime in the next, you know, 12 months that we'll have a lot clearer idea of where that's going. Um, but, but, you know, not what so- are some of the artists that have come through for Hop Jam besides, you well, know, Hanson Place? Okay. So Albert Hammond, uh, from the Strokes, he, he, he's done some really cool solo records and he's, uh, he's played there. Um, let's see, uh, ex ambassadors. Uh, ex ambassadors. That's right. Um, we've had, uh, I believe Congo's played there. Uh, we've had um, um, Edward Sharp of the Magnetic Zeros. We've had, um, wow, uh, gosh, my brain is going. Um, we've had, um, I don't have the list in front of me. Um, um, 
Local, you've had some local bands play too. We've had, well, there's right. always or a local, Oklahoma. there's always a local slot yeah. and there's a competition for people to win the opening slot of the, of the kind of main stage. Yeah. Oh man, there, there have been a lot of really, really good bands. I'm going blank on Love it. So, uh, side hustles, you got Hop Jam, you got the, the Hanson Brothers beer. Yeah. Um, uh, what else is in that group of, what else is in the family of brands now? I think that's it. I think that's it okay. for right now. I mean, I, I, I have, I mean, I have, designed my own guitar and that's the primary guitar that i play oh. um, who'd you design the guitar with uh well i had a guy roger giffen uh, he's a roger. luthier in um in beaverton oregon yeah. uh, he built it for me i love it uh i kind of had an initial draft of it and then is that the hop guitar with made out of a oh, hop? no 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 that's okay, gotcha. that's just only for the festival Gotcha, that, that's gotcha, the gotcha. logo of the I've festival. The, okay, is gotcha. a hop with a guitar. Hop guitar yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it was kind of designed after a, combining an SG and a Firebird together. It looks more like a Firebird than it does anything else. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, but uh, I keep thinking about taking it beyond prototype and actually turning it into something, which would be fun. I think it'd be wise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, played that for over ten years. Yeah. The, so what I, th okay, something I think is also interesting is the concept behind the Red, Green, Blue album. Oh, the new album. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit, of uh, profile that album, how it came to be and kind of the, the ideology behind it. Uh, well, did, I, did I get the order right? Red, no, Green, you Blue? Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Red, you. Green, Blue, Thank RGB, you. which is a color format. So it's kind of, <laughs> so for one, it, it, what's get interesting, out. yeah, what's interesting is actually it was kind of a double, a deliberate double meaning. And it comes from the fact that growing up as kids, my favorite color was green. Taylor's favorite color was red. And Zach's favorite color was blue. And then That's as you, so cute. And then as you get older, you're like, oh. And you're like, start working with Photoshop and things like that. You're like, oh, yeah, that's like a color format. No, that's what the pixel looks like. Yeah. Red, green, blue lines and all this kind of stuff. And so when it came to this particular record, we we just celebrated 30 years of performing together as a band. Uh, that that's 25 years since Middle of Nowhere, 30 years as a band. And um, and we thought, well, this is probably a good time to do something that we've never done before. And there was, I think, after all of the time of kind of COVID stuff, and we released a record called Against the World, which we weren't able to tour on because of all the COVID stuff. And we released that one song at a time for the every month. We'd release a new song and a new video and a new song and a new video. And An appropriately that. named album for when you can't tour. Exactly. Well, <laughs> and, it, and, and there was this really cool concept behind how we were going to do that as well. But that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Um, but Red, Green, Blue was kind of like, okay, so what if we split the band into three parts, the three brothers, mm -hmm. and had each guy basically do not necessarily a solo record, but kinda. Yeah. And said, hey man, you got five slots. Do whatever you want with these five slots. Let me know what you want to play, but it's yours. You do it. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and 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 in a way it's kind of like a massive trust fall as a band, you know, because you're like, okay. Because I think everyone was like, oh, crap, what's I going to do? It's probably going to suck. No, just kidding. <laughs> right. That's not what they were thinking. I mean, or right. is it? Or <laughs> no, that's no, no, no. We, don't, we don't think it sucks. They were thinking. We don't think it sucks. <laughs> it's great. Zach's it's like, great, it's fine, Isaac. It's, it's a great fine. album. Fine. I, got the, I swear it's great. It's probably my favorite. No, actually, it was really interesting. And, it, and, and some of that was born out of necessity. When, when, you're on, when you're no longer on the road and you're not able to kind of perform and stuff like that, it, we were all kind of in this really weird space of like, okay, what do we do? And it was just a lot of tension. Yeah. And it was like, one of the ways to alleviate tension is 
to really lean into what makes each guy really happy doing what they do. Yeah. And so it was it was both the trustful and I think a little bit of necessity as well. Yeah. Too, which is just like we I think we all needed a little bit of creative, you know, arm stretching to go like, all right, here's yeah. what I'm here's what I'm thinking. And that was not originally what it was what it was dreamed up as, but it's what it became. And it actually I think shows um some really cool sides of who the band is. And I think it allows people to, if you've been a band, if you've been a band this long. You want people to have an opportunity to rediscover you in a certain way, to see something about you that they haven't seen before. Uh And the Red, Green, Blue album allows people to see the band as three very well-defined individuals and well-defined personalities and understand that it's not just what's on this record, but also what's not on the record. Mm -hmm. And it allows for people to kind of hear, oh, this is what happens when they're kind of by themselves. And this is also what happens when they're together and you start to understand kind of the influences wow. and yeah. everybody is. And we released three singles from that record, one from the red section, one from the green section, one from the blue section and did uh, about a 101 shows last year. Wow. In oh, 20, in like 20, 21 countries, 47 shows here in the U S and then, you know, around 20 in Europe and a little less than 20 in South America and then about uh, eight to 10 in, in yeah. Australia and New Zealand. Wow. That's fantastic. I really want to go. I don't, I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm, I really, I'm going to go now. I mean, I, I love really, that. Our, uh, I really like the uh, red section. The, of course you Not do. so much the green section. The green <laughs> section is me. I have a self-loathing problem, so I don't really like to listen to it very much because it makes me feel weird about me. I would be the same way. Let's I'm actually it. just kidding. So you're kidding. You totally kidding. <laughs> my favorite part's the green now part. Now you look like an idiot. <laughs> no, I kidding. suck, dude. Oh no, I, I actually really like what Taylor Zach did in a very because it's really interesting. Do they, to, do, they sing, do they sing? Do they are they the lead vocals on their section? Yeah, so that's the that's the idea. It's the lead vocalist wow. on five on the on I one third, that. and and that's kind of I think a thing that is unique about our band. Yeah, a lot of bands probably wouldn't be able to do that, mm-hmm. but we're able to to each take a lead, you know, the, the, the full lead on, you know, a third of the record and, and kind of make it our own. And, and it's, and there's some really, really different and interesting stuff on there. My stuff is a little bit more band kind of off the floor sounding. There's more acoustic guitars and stuff. Zach's not surprisingly has several (laughs) songs that are just bombastic drum grooves and Taylor's are kind of he actually did a weird thing, which I did not expect him to do. He, because of uh, producing the record with Jim Scott, uh, who is a famous engineer and producer, uh, has done stuff with Tom Petty, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jackson Brown, Sting. Like, Heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then also our friend David Garza, who is a fantastic songwriter and musician. Mm-hmm. Taylor really leaned on David in certain cases musically and said, hey, David, how about you just play the guitar on this on this track and I'll just sing. Mm-hmm. And and there were a bunch of things like that that he did that I didn't expect him to do. And it was really, really interesting. And it created a, a different side of who Taylor is, I think, um, and shows people, you know, kind of the unplugged version of certain things. And then it also makes the live show interesting because we did very different versions of some of those songs yeah. as well that were not exactly like the record. So That's so fun. Yes. All right. Well, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to Red, Green, Blue. Uh, last question for today. Uh, what's the best Christmas movie? Okay, well, I have two favorites and I can't pick. 
Yeah, go for it. Because now they're tied. They they used to they. So White Christmas is the go to for me. It's hilarious. It's fun. It's musical. It's all the things. And then there is a movie called The Family Stone. Stop it, dude! You just that, that's that's yeah. Dude, we watch that it every movie year. wrecks me. Me and my wife, we <laughs> it watch it every so year. It is so good. It is so good. It is so good. Oh my! You're God. so happy right I now. Cole is the family. So it's happy. a great. It's I, a really good movie. And yeah. actually, my son Everett ended up basically being named Everett because of that movie. Because of Everett, yeah. Because he, they say Everett a gazillion times in that movie. <laughs> yeah. And I, we were looking for a name and. Our brother, our brother Mac was like, what about Everett? Yeah. Uh, so. I like that because um, I, I feel like the Luke Wilson character. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's my role in, right. in the family is right. to just be how Luke Wilson is in the movie. Right. And then Claire very much relates to Sarah Jessica Parker's character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I like that they end up together. Right. Um, right. I love the... Man, way to ruin it. I love the... Oh, sorry. Dang. Um, I've seen it, but... Okay, great. That's fine. I just love everybody out there. I just love how he helps her figure it out. Like, you got a freak flag. You just don't fly it. it. Exactly. (laughs) You just got to fly it. Fly the freak flag. That's so great. Okay, so if you want to learn more about uh, the Hanson brand, uh, you got to go to Hanson.net, correct? That's right. That is correct. Uh, Sign up to be in the fan club. uh, Go to one of their shows. And then, obviously, um, when Hop Jam starts back up, you got to get to Tulsa. Yeah. And and get there and go to Hop Jam. I have personally been and I had a great time. Hop it's Jam a lot of fun. It's a fantastic party, fantastic event. And uh, thank you for being a model of of the right way to do to be a band and to be a brand. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think what you've done over the last thirty years uh, will go down in history, and people many will learn from it. So it's it's it's. I, I recommend it and also caution everyone against it all at the same time. <laughs> As we should. <laughs> because, hey, it's fantastic. It's a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> you But somebody's got to do it. Might as, well be, might as well be investing in something you believe in. Yeah. And I think that's the, probably the most important thing about it. Yeah. Because at least you can kind of say, well, I'm proud of it. Yeah. That's what I, I'm, I'm, I can put my stamp of approval on it and fight for it no matter what. Thank so. you. Thanks for being here today. Appreciate Thank you. you. Awesome. Philip, thanks for being here today, man. Oh, man. I'll, yeah. I'll come anytime. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Every time. Awesome. See you next episode. Bye.